Welcome to Purpose Inc., the podcast where we discuss corporate purpose and stakeholder capitalism. I'm your host, Michael Young. My guests today are Balaji Ganapathy, the Chief Social Responsibility Officer at TCS, the big IT consulting firm, and a longtime friend of the podcast. Welcome back. Welcome and welcome back, Balaji. Thanks, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here again. Excellent. And uh, and our other guest, Elliot Roth, the founder of Spira, a startup that creates industrial chemicals using carbon neg- negative genetically engineered algae. Hope I got that out right. Elliot, welcome yeah. to the Purposing Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So lots to talk about. And, and Balaji, I thought we'd lead off with you. And if you could give us a rundown on this year's Pitch for Purpose. This is the second time we've hosted uh, the winner of, of this uh, competition. So just run us through this year and, and maybe anything else you're up to. I know it's a huge topic, but uh, anything else you're doing in sustainability and social responsibility at TCS, would love to hear it. Uh, thanks, uh, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here again. And uh, I think uh, today is about celebrating Elliot and uh, all of the uh, you know uh, incredible social entrepreneurs who are uh, fighting the good fight and uh, helping us advance uh, our mission as society to make the world a better place. Um, it, it's a really a, you know gratifying to see the kind of response that we had for the Pitch for Purpose competition this year. Uh, I mean, in context, the reason why uh, TCS uh, started this competition as part of our Digital Empowers uh, program is to um, exactly, um, you know, the outcome that we are seeing today, which is to give entrepreneurs, especially social entrepreneurs who are really driven and uh, close to the ground, uh, an opportunity to highlight the kind of innovative solutions that they are creating using technology and the impact that it can create in accelerating the goals that we have as communities, as companies, as countries to a more equitable future, right? And this is important for TCS because, you know, um, our mission is to uh, create um, uh, greater access, equity, and inclusion in society by connecting people to opportunities in the digital economy. And, you know, we're doing that on the business front by working with customers. We're doing that on the talent front with uh, over half a million people working for us globally. And on the community front, it's the same kind of approach where uh, those who are closest to the problem, those who are closest to the ground, almost always have better answers, better solutions than we can uh, parachute in with, right? And uh, I think uh, the three main areas that Digital Empowers has always stayed true to is to raise awareness of digital technologies and social issues, explore the art of what is possible and leading edge, and foster cross-sector partnerships that uh, accelerate uh, innovation for both social uh, impact and business good. So, um, and, and I think uh, pitch for purpose from last year to this year, the big uh, you know change has been the the kind of uh, um, you know uptick that we have seen in uh, people applying to this competition. We had over two hundred organizations, social entrepreneurs, and startups that applied this year. And um, I, I think it is it is very gratifying to see that kind of a response because each of them represent organizations, individuals uh, uh, that are driving solutions on the ground, especially in a post-COVID environment. If you look at 
um, you know, what small businesses have done for America, I believe that social entrepreneurs and social enterprises can do the same for uh, America and the world in the future, right? They are as significant a part of our economy as small businesses are. And, um, um, and so we're very happy to see the diversity of applications that came in. Um, and um, I think all the way from, um, you know, carbon and climate to um, using um, less textile um, so that you're reducing your consumption footprint uh, to um, creating uh, algorithm-based services that can improve public services and advisory for where uh, equity can be created through uh, use of public funds and use of uh, budgets that uh, organizations are allocating towards that. I mean, the kind of diversity has been incredible. Um, we had a lot of assistive technology-related uh, uh, social entrepreneurs also who were part of the finalists. Um, and, you know, it's really heartwarming to see the kind of ideas that they have. So kudos to Elliot and uh, his innovation, Spira's innovation, because, you know, this was a tough uh, competition and uh, we had, uh, uh, you know, really good industry experts, CIOs and contributors from leading media outlets uh, who are part of the judging panel. And it was not easy uh, given the, the level of competition out there. So kudos to um, uh, Elliot and all of the finalists for this year's Pitch for Purpose. Yeah, it Thanks was fantastic seeing all the different uh, competitors. And, and really, I think that it should be, be said again that the quality and caliber of the people that were involved, I was absolutely blown away. And so it, it's an honor to be among even the finalists, let alone be chosen. So thank, thank you, everybody, for helping um, kind of bring us to this point. I have a lot kind of to, to give back to both my team and the other finalists. And Elliot, you're getting after a big problem and it's a big idea that you're addressing. And I wonder if you could just unpack what it is that uh, the company is is setting out to do in, in, in using algae across a number of different categories and industries and um, just give us, give us your run, run it down for us, if you would, please. Yeah, I don't know if anybody noticed lately, but the world's kind of on fire. Um, <laughs> and there's there's a lot that has been going on recently that has been getting worse. We have bushfires in Australia and drought in the United States and really all over the world. And what seems to be the big biggest challenge facing humanity right now is climate change and all of the inequalities and challenges and problems that are associated with a changing climate and a warming earth. And the main culprit of all of that has been CO2 and the carbon emissions coming from human activities. And so when you look at the global supply chain, one of the fundamental challenges and problems that we have with the supply chain is that the basic raw materials that we're using, no matter what we do, are emitting CO2. Whenever we use the kind of products that we consume in the supermarket or the clothes we wear, any of that, uh, it is producing CO2. And so Spira started with this fundamental idea of how do you get as close to energy conversion from the sun as possible and sucking up CO2 while you do it um, by using this incredible organism known as algae and replacing the raw material feedstocks, the raw materials that we use in our day-to-day -day lives. And we're starting with pigments. 
pigments for food for what 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 it, what applications yeah yeah so one of the uh, main concepts is that artificial colors right now are made with leftover oil gunk and so any of the foods we eat or clothes we wear like cosmetics that you put on your face all of that uses petrochemical based pigments and these pigments are pervasive all over the place and so anytime you're walking around after it rains and you see that rainbow shimmer on top of the asphalt or an iridescent shine in gasoline those are the artificial colors that you end up consuming in beverage products or food products and so really the first focus in kind of our beachhead market that we started working on is replacing artificial dyes and colors using this carbon negative algae. And so we're starting off by swapping out um, all of these artificial dyes in consumer food products, and then moving on from there, going from pigments to proteins, replacing animal proteins, uh, plastics, and starting to phase out all kinds of petrochemical-based plastics, and then finally moving on to higher value products like pharmaceuticals. Fantastic. And uh, Michael, this is so important because I want to contextualize this in the context of, you know, COP26 and everything that's happening around uh, climate change and pledges to support that. Because organizations, small, large and medium are coming out with goals to say, this is what we want to do to be um, uh, carbon neutral. And this is what we want to do to be net zero. It's important to realize that within the scope one, scope two, scope three emissions that they are trying to control, a lot of it is about carbon offsetting versus um, decarbonization. And this is going to be an important topic in future years because right now we are seeing this wave of organizations starting to look at um, you know, how to offset uh, the impact that uh, their production is creating, their manufacturing, their services are creating. But uh, soon enough, you're going to move into an era where decarbonization and ca carbon capture is going to be the prominent uh, area to look at and focus on. Because you know, if you don't uh, produce carbon, you don't need to then offset or um, you know neutralize it by other counts. So I think the relevance of innovations like what uh, Elliot is and uh, Spira have come out with is definitely uh, timely, and I would say a little ahead of its time. Um, so. Kudos to them for thinking about this because this can have a huge impact in so many industries in uh, in moving from offsetting to um, you know decarbonization in their in their whole operations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you you said it really well. Is you you kind of have to think of um, the way that we're going to decarbonize in two different ways. So the first way is by displacing and replacing carbon emitting materials. And so that's kind of what I was talking about when uh, talking about the raw materials that we end up using, whether it's food ingredients, or if it's cosmetic ingredients, if it's textile ingredients, all of those different ingredients are emitting carbon right now. And so how do you phase out those ingredients with something that's a carbon negative alternative. And so carbon negative just means that it absorbs CO2 as it grows. And you see this happen with very, very complex um, plant species. But we decided to start from a per first principles basis and start with something very simple and do the simplest plant imaginable and uh, grow algae. And so a, a key kind of aha moment that we had. And we're, I like building companies on the basis of philosophical principles. So one of them was that um, human conflict occurs through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you don't have your basic needs met, you end up coming into conflict with the people around you. 
So that's food, water, shelter, those basic necessities. And oftentimes what is really important to provide are the basic necessities through uh, locally produced sustainable material. So that's part of the reason why we started focusing on raw materials and really growing these raw materials as opposed to extracting them from the earth. So the second key principle that we started working with is how do you get as efficient as possible at producing these materials locally? And so we started looking at what is the simplest organ organism and most ancient organism imaginable, and that's how we came to algae. I was uh, a student um, doing some research and had set up an independent laboratory, actually in a garage space in Richmond, Virginia, and stumbled across algae that was being used as a food source for astronauts. Um, it was previously used all the way back in time in, in terms of the time of the Aztecs and has been grown all over the world. And so I started growing algae kind of as a means of feeding myself when I was food insecure um, a couple of years ago, about five years ago when I first started Spira. And that's the genesis of the company was I needed to provide for my own basic needs. So you, you grew algae for yourself as a, as a food? Yeah, initially, um, when I was yeah. getting started, I was growing algae as a means of feeding myself. And okay. I kind of thought, there, there's got to be, <laughs> basically, more people have to start producing algae um, because this stuff is amazing. I can provide for all my basic needs. I can kind of have this major protein source and grow everything that I need in a fish tank in this garage space um, and live on something like that. And so I was living on that for about two and a half months when I was getting started. And I applied to a program called Indie Bio. And luckily I was accepted. They thought I was crazy enough that my business was never going to fail because I could always live on my own algae. So uh, that was kind of the genesis of Spira. And I realized I had this aha moment that fresh algae had no taste. And it was only when you process it and break it down that it starts having that umami flavor. And if I was to get more people to adopt algae as a, a raw material or basic ingredient, that I really needed to find a new way of processing it and a new way of uh, working with the material itself, working with the organism itself to make it so that it could be used as an ingredient in other food products. So um, that's what we started doing. I started using stuff like CRISPR to knock out bad tasting flavor molecules. CRISPR is a genetic editing technology. Uh, and then using this kind of novel technique of refining the algae to pull out pigments and proteins, plastics, and other kind of compounds. And so uh, it's taken years of research to get to this point. But now um, we have a number of different products and we're about ready to re release some more uh, pigments, uh, protein uh, ingredient for the food industry. And I have a team of about seven and 10 to 20 contractors. And we work with a number of farmers all over the world to actually grow our algae um, and absorb CO2 while doing it. That gives really and new Michael, meaning. Oh, God. No, I, I see, I again want to stress upon this point that Talit said, because uh, if you zoom back and look at where some of the problems are today and the challenges that exist in the in the space of climate change and climate commitments, it's often the underdeveloped uh, parts of the world that are, um, you know, uh, facing inequitable challenges because 
um, the technology and the innovation that goes uh, into uh, making this shift is all with the developed world or the Western world. And uh, mostly the global South is uh, expected to meet these targets, but does not have the innovation of the models to sustain it, right? So uh, what is refreshing about approaches like this is that not only is it technology and uh, innovation that is going to advance uh, what we want to do as a society, the model itself is to democratize and put uh, the power back in the hand of uh, farmers in South Africa or other parts of the world where, um, you know, their sustainability, their income, uh, their uh, community uh, growth is not going to get stunted as a result of these advances. Right. So that kind of models, I think, are refreshing and more needed as as we make uh, pledges as countries and as society to uh, achieve uh, our climate change targets. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think um, it takes really it, what, what we realized um, when banging our heads against the wall of saying, hey, everybody should grow algae and kind of provide for themselves is that you can't reinvent the supply chain from by creating a brand new supply chain. The supply chain itself is set up in such a way that it provides for everybody in the world. And so um my company is located in the port of Los Angeles, and I look outside and see a backlog of container ships all the way back as far as the horizon can see. And you you see the challenges associated with the global supply chain of um, how in times of stress, like in times of, of the coronavirus, right, um, we have challenges getting the basic necessities that we need. And so it's it's my motivation and my mission to produce raw materials locally. And we're starting to do that using uh, farms and working with farmers, mostly in developing countries, to produce the basic materials that they end up using on a day-to-day basis. Elliot, I, <clears throat> I was just taken by the fact that you sustained yourself on algae as a founder. I think that gives, you know, we, we, always, we always hear about founders kind of going to any length to get their startup off the ground. I think that is a new level. So that is amazing. You are a serial entrepreneur, and I just wanted to maybe shift gears and spend a minute, if you would, um, you know, talking about what you've learned over your pro over your journey, uh, you know, doing multiple startups and, and maybe what, what advice would you give other social entrepreneurs and, and what have you learned over the, the, the past few years, especially during the pandemic? Um, that you could always eat algae, I'm joking, <laughs> joking, but, um, basically I think oh, I've started seven companies and two nonprofits over the course of my career. And of the companies that I started, one of the main things that I learned is keep going. Um, one of my investors once told me that there are two things that cause a company to fail. And one of them is you run out of money. And the second is that you give up. And I think that for me, I don't have to worry too much about running out of money because I could always eat my own algae to survive. And giving up really isn't an option. I think what we're doing in terms of fundamentally shifting our supply chain to a carbon negative localized supply chain um, by producing these kind of raw materials is, is something that I, I think is... It needs to happen, and it's something that I hold really near and dear to my heart. And so for, for entrepreneurs, I think it's really important to live your mission, feel the pain point of the problem yourself, and keep going. I mean, I think that's what I needed to hear when I was getting started. That's great. 
That's really great. And <clears throat> just in terms of, of next steps and scaling up, you mentioned uh, localized farms in, in many places. And I'd maybe um, want to just kind of unpack that um, c- comment you made a moment ago, Balaji, about how the change to carbon neutral will not be evenly distributed. And, and so how do, how do we start to think about that, that change on a more global basis? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, our business model just in general is set up in such a way that, um, we rely heavily on working with partner farmers in developing countries. And I, and behold, like I, I'm kind of indebted and, and really honored by the fact that these farms choose to partner with us. These are small-scale algae farmers, places like India, Peru, Thailand, Indonesia, all over the world. And what we do with these farmers is work with them to grow our special algae strains that have certain criteria, certain certain kind of attributes that food companies or cosmetic companies, textile companies want in the United States. And so they grow these specific types of algae, these seed cultures of algae, and then dry it out and send us back raw materials. And so right now, when I'm working with these farmers, we're paying them more than a living wage. Um, they're growing algae. It's absorbing tons of CO2 from the environment. We try to support female um, farmers in these developing countries. And when they send it back to us, we then use all those materials, those compounds to replace petrochemicals, animal compounds from the supply chain and, and kind of swap out um, swap out these, these materials, these carbon emitting materials with something that's healthier for people on the planet. And so the way that I see it right now is we're steadily chipping away at that. And it, it operates on a hub-and-spoke model. So all of our farmers are overseas, or most of them. We have some farms in the United States, but only a few. And they ship it to us in Los Angeles in the port of LA, the biggest port in the United States. And we process those materials here and then ship it back out to our clients. So the dream is to go from this hub-and-spoke model where all of them are shipping it to us to a more decentralized and distributed model where we would be able to process and ship out in the countries where the, the algae is farmed. And so you get a much more local supply of materials. And currently, right now, the thing that, that kind of is holding us back, the thing that's the main barrier, is, is one of two things. So number one is adoption from the main companies uh, that are buying different kinds of materials. Petroleum and animal compounds are still very cheap to get. And so there is this barrier of pricing that we are steadily getting better and better and better at pricing. We're scaling larger and larger and larger as a means of dropping the price so that we're competitive with petrochemical-based ingredients. And then the second thing that seems to be the barrier is uh, the ability of implementing our kind of processing techniques and technologies in these developing countries. Many of them are in the middle of nowhere, in desert regions. Um, And during COVID, it has been almost impossible to get on site to help these farmers out. And so um, those are the two main barriers that we have right now as a means of getting from this hub and spoke model to a more decentralized distributed model. And of course, um, some financing always does help grease the wheels a little bit. And that's where exactly, you know, uh, Michael, to your question, where we want to play is to elevate uh, our great innovations, great uh, um, 
founders and companies like uh, Spira and uh, provide them the opportunity not just to win a prize money, which uh, is notional, but have the opportunity to work with uh, some of the best technologists and uh, problem solvers in the world at TCS uh, over the next year. And, uh, you know, the 2020 finalists, not only Simba, who was the winner, but all six companies benefited from uh, the mentorship and support that uh, our uh, business leaders, our technology and domain experts could provide over a period of time and uh, are able to, especially at the stage of the growth that they are in, uh, accelerate that through those interventions, right? So um, that's our goal, to demonstrate that with the right kind of support from private sector and other participants, uh, social entrepreneurs and social enterprises can really substantially scale and provide very nimble solutions that can drive change. I mean, I'm really encouraged by Elliot and what he's doing at Spira. Similarly, you know, if, if you look at the story of other finalists like uh, Shelly Sue, who is a founder of SXD, you know, her uh, invention is also um, you know, using less textiles to produce um, uh, the clothes that we all wear, but using climate refugees to support that in Bangladesh. So there is that uh, model of giving it, paying it forward. And, uh, you know, as Elliot was talking about the supply chain and how to not change the supply chain, but to reinvent it in a way which is more equitable. Um, or, uh, you know, another of our finalists, Cas Vita, is doing the same with uh, cassava, which is a uh, um, you know, a, a vegetable that's grown in uh, a root vegetable that's grown in uh, many parts of the world, but especially in Africa, and using uh, you know preservation techniques uh, to help farmers increase the time that uh, uh, you know cassava can be utilized to convert from raw material into finished products of different kinds. So the spirit of a lot of the social entrepreneurs who have come through through this program is very similar. It is to create equitable futures, which is which is very much in line with what TCS we want to see in the world. So, I mean, I'm, my call to action to organizations is, and there are a lot of organizations doing terrific work in this space. And finally, you know, you know, I, I do want to leave on a high to say that while the E and the G of ESG has got a lot of focus in the past several years, I think the S of ESG is really where social change can occur. I'm not saying any of this is in isolation, but I think we have underappreciated the social impact that can be created by businesses, large, small, and medium, and social entrepreneurs uh, for the way we want to envisage a new future for ourselves, whether it is for 2030 goals, 2050 goals, or beyond. Uh, I think uh, that's, that's a big part of the answer. And I believe that at TCS, we're just playing a small role to elevate that and amplify that so that uh, founders and organizations like Elliot and Spira can really leapfrog to the next level. Um, so to the, the social goal and that effect, I think that it's it's very difficult to convince people to shift from the pre-existing habits that they have. And so if you, I'll give an example because I'm a, I'm a biologist. Um, the fat cells in your body have a lifespan of about seven years. And so what that means is that if you are to minimize the number of fat cells in your body, um, not just grow or shrink them, if you go on a diet for a short period of time, what ends up happening is your fat cells shrink. But if you're to actively make sure that you have less fat cells over a period of time, it takes seven years of consistent dieting and lifestyle change 
in order to diminish the number of fat cells in your body. And this is an alternative version of malnutrition that we're talking about, not, not like the lack of proper nutrition, not the lack of the basic necessities, but an overabundance of the wrong kind of uh, inputs into somebody's, somebody's body. And so when somebody goes on a diet, it's pretty easy for you to get fast food or to drop, have a, have a dip in your willpower over the course of those seven years. And so rather than trying to convince people to maintain that willpower for long periods of time, it's just not in human nature. We are genetically predisposed to want to seek out easy access to calories. Um, and so instead of trying to change somebody's willpower, change the social, social context and try to influence in that way, which is a very, very challenging problem. Instead, if you replace the raw ingredients that are in fast food, as an example, or in the grocery store items, rather than poisoning our bodies when we consume just the basic necessities that we eat on a day-to-day -day basis, instead we'll start influencing positive human health outcomes. And that's what I'm really excited about is convincing these larger companies to start phasing out the more harmful petrochemical animal-based compounds and ingredients they use, starting to replace it with carbon-negative algae ingredients. And so in doing so, helping both from a planetary impact perspective as well as a human impact perspective. That's fantastic. All incredible. And I, I just really love the the globalization and the localization of innovation that um, I know TCS has been working on for many, many years. And, and Elliot, to hear your your application is really, really exciting. So we are going to have to leave it here, gentlemen. Um, I very much appreciate you both coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Of course. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, it's a pleasure. And I thank, thank TCS, Biology, um, all of you for everything you've done. And I'm very excited to work more with you in the future. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. And thank you, Michael, for shining a light on, uh, um, you know, great innovators like uh, Elliot and Spira. Um, thank you for that. It's been a pleasure to come back and talk through this. Thanks to both of you for being on the podcast. The Purposing Podcast is a production of Actual Agency, helping innovators communicate in a changing world. More at www.actual.agency.